After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. He's JJ Cooper. I'm John Manuel. We start doing this regularly again. It's kind of nice. It's probably a good thing. Probably a good thing to do. Uh, JJ, it's a, it's a big day in Baseball America history. It is our first time ever announcing the Minor League Player of the Year Award live on network television. Very exciting for us. Cable network, because nowadays network television is, you know, not coming Everybody's got a network, yeah. but it's got network in the title. So yes. I'm calling it network television. They're not, they're more than four these days. And uh, MLB Network putting us on their air today to announce our Minor League Player of the Year Award. And if you're listening to this, you've already known the winner. You watched it live. Blake Snell with Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, JJ, two different ways I think we've thought about this. First of all, this is one of the harder choices we've had. Uh, in a long time, you know, you and I were both here for 2004, which I still think is probably the most difficult Pound the one. the table on that one. That was a difficult I, I, one. Yeah, that one was a rough one. It was just a very difficult decision, and we wound up choosing Jeff Francis. Probably in retrospect, I think we wish that we had chosen either, either David Wright or Ryan Howard. Uh, David Wright played 109 games that year. Ryan Howard was 24 and in AA, and we just didn't think he was a prospect. Necessarily, like, a good enough prospect. Frankly... He's got a lot of similarities to A.J. Reed. Yes. Um, now, he was more dominant than A.J. Reed. 46 home runs was 46 home runs. It was a lot of home runs. Even in that era, it was a right. lot of home runs. But A.J. Reed is a more well-rounded hitter. It's an interesting... I'm not sure he was at the minor league level, though, to be honest with you. That that year, Brian Howard walked a ton. I mean, but he is... I mean, I think he does project that way. And he was a higher draft. Hey, Ryan Howard's a fifth-round draft pick. And not a great body... And some questions about how good he was defensively, and he was blocked by Jim Tomey. We had all those questions. I don't even think we really even considered it. And was that also the Jeremy no, Reed? No, no, we did. We did. No, that Jeremy Reed. I want to say was the other. I, I want. I'm really stifling myself here to not. Yes, do my... I was wrong on Reed. I was right on Howard. I was wrong on Reed because I was definitely wrong on Jeremy Reed. Ryan Howard that year did strike out 166 times, but he walked 60 times. 291, right. 380, 637. Very good. That year. was a monster year. Very good um, year. And he was not the minor league player of the year, which is remarkable. And the thing that... All he did pretty much was win. The thing that stood out to me was is that um, when we started this, we started from a position of almost frustration because <laughs> yeah. we really... What it comes down to is, is Kyle Schwarber did pretty much everything you would want a guy to do to be minor league player of the year. Right. Except for the fact that he got promoted too quickly. Correct, 74 games in the minor leagues. Jeremy Reed, by the way, was 2003. That was the year before. Was I was really wrong on that. The next year, when you say brought him up, I know I brought Brian Howard, Howard up. up. Okay. And I was very, yeah, that was a frustrating meeting to me. 
But I, just, I was, yeah, I was just adamant against Jeff Francis. Nothing against the person, but I didn't think that anyone, any pitcher who was going to Coors Field, especially one who had solid but not... It wasn't loud stuff, stuff right. Is, ...was going to have a long, successful career there. He had a successful career there by Colorado Rocky standards. Yeah, I think he had a successful career there, period. I mean, just in general, the guy did, you know, his first three full years of the minor leagues, 14 and 12, I mean, the majors... He won, what is this, uh, 44 games. I know you aren't supposed to measure wins, but he actually was the number one starter in 20, 2007 right. on a pennant-winning team. That, that being said, he had two two years in his entire career with an ERA plus over 100. Right. That was his peak, and then the next year he got hurt. I mean, his, the, 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 the course field factor will be a real, you know, it's a real question going forward. Like, did, is that why he got hurt? But he was a playoff ace. I mean, he was the number one starter in the postseason, and they won two playoff series. His peak... Was a minor league player of the year peak. But His career, career was not a minor league player of the year necessarily career. So. Um, but so we started with that Kyle Schwarber checks off all the boxes. No doubt. But Kyle Schwarber didn't play enough games. And we looked at it. Also we, no doubt. We looked at it. And really like the, the kind of the minimum threshold is it was almost like the Frank Thomas corollary. Because Frank Thomas won minor league player of the year at Baseball America. He played 109 games. With 109 games. And then went to the big leagues and was really good in the big leagues. Now, we've said the best way, I mean, again, we let's understand, we say this every year on the podcast, minor league player of the year for us is not just the player in the minor leagues who had the best year. Yeah, it's Chris not- Colabello had an amazing year a couple years ago. Chris Colabello was 29 years old at the time. And he should have had league. a great he should have had a great year but in the minor league. Not leagues. gonna be our minor league player of the year. Mike Hessman, not gonna be a minor league player of the year. Right. In, in, in any of those years. Right. What we do is is minor league player of the year is a combination of a great year. You can't this is not that you are the number one prospect in baseball. You cannot win minor league player of the year, our minor league player of the year award, with a good year. You have to have a great year. It's a great year and then prospect status is part of it. Right. I would actually say you have it's the best year by a prospect. By a if by a not, very good prospect. And, and that's right. And that and that was the question this year. Honestly, is that our finalists were not great prospects at the start of the year. I just uh, I'm working on our Florida State League top 20 prospects list, uh, you know, and, and editing all these other ones. And we were sitting there talking about, uh, you know, minor league players of the year candidates with the scout. And he said, "Hey, last year Blake Snell, I didn't even I did not. If you had done a top 20, you wouldn't have made it." I said, well, I did do a top 20, and I don't think he made it. <laughs> you know? Command was I mean, command command, and control. He, and he said, I put a four on his future command. And then I saw him early this year, and I thought, wow, this guy is really different. He's, he, saw, I mean, he only made four appearances in the Florida State League to start the year. Four very good ones. They were all really good. As in, I'm not going to allow any runs. But this scout said just plainly, the, the, the leap this guy made, this guy made the leap. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not Bill Simmons, and but he did say he made the that, leap. That's what I was going to say is this. We started with Schwarber. Right. And then we went, okay, well, Schwarber doesn't qualify, so who else is out there? Because I actually wrote a column about this, which I, uh, which I didn't realize I wrote. I didn't remember writing, but I wrote it at the beginning of the year of uh, potential, uh, kind of trying to handicap the race for minor league player of the year. And, you know, the favorite at the beginning of the year for me were the favorites were Byron Buxton, Addison Russell, Joey Gallo. So Schwarber wasn't even listed as a favorite. 
But Addison Russell fits into this same category of a guy who just wasn't in the minor leagues long enough. Now, he wasn't even in nearly he as long in, as Schwarber. He was in for a couple. He wasn't right. in. I mean, he, just he wasn't was, in. I did not think the Cubs were going to jump into the major leagues as fast as they did. I'm glad Schwarber. they did. Stud candidates, I wrote. Carlos Correa called up in May. And um, now do the Astros wonder, hey, maybe we should have been April. Correct. And then Corey Seager. Now, Corey Seager probably was the guy on this list who had the best shot at winning it. Just not a good enough year. Good year. Very good year. Not but a minor league player You cannot of the year match year. it up with an A.J. Reed year or a Lewis Brinson year and as far as hitters. That's a good point, and too. Say, or Bobby Bradley. Right. I mean, he's a better prospect than all those guys. Right. right. You know? I'm less high on Bradley's season than you. It was a very good season to me. but I think it's pretty unique to see a teenager hit that many home runs in the, it is. In the Midwest. And league. he made a big strides. He made right. big strides. But uh, uh, was, uh, Usually the high school player in their first full season, crashes and burns in August because they're gassed. He had his best month. Yeah. I understand there's a ton of strikeouts. I am I am high on him. I, I like him. Uh, I had Lu- Lucas Giolito and Julio Urias as the top pitching guys coming into the year. They were both candidates, especially G- Giolito, because he actually pitched most of the year. Urias took a little a little break to spread himself out, the cosmetic eye had, surgery. Yeah, surgery. Well, that was it. Yeah. That was the cosmetic eye surgery to me was clearly... Yeah. Let's figure out a way to interrupt his season. Right. Um, and now, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that he hasn't gone to the major leagues. Although, to be AAA was proving I'm, to be a little t- test at the end of the year, too. It has been. He, got, he actually got hammered a couple times, which mm-hmm. uh, had not happened to him in his minor league career. And I put darker horses, Aaron Judge and Franklin Barreto. So I wish I'd picked a little bit better darker horses. But I did not have A.J. Reed or Blake Snell. I don't think preseason. anyone realistically handicapping this going into the season was going to have those guys. That's it. But the thing that I I think we all came around to is is that where when we started this process, and we start this process early August, we start talking about it, I almost felt reluctant. I almost felt frustrated at the time. Yes. And by the time we were done with it, I felt like we had two absolutely legitimate minor league player of the year type players who had those type seasons, who were good enough prospects, to check off that box, and when it was all said and done, I would have been happy with either of them feeling right. like I we can be proud of this award. That was that is that's a great way to put it. At the start of the process, I almost thought, God, we're gonna have one of our worst minor league players of the year ever. But both players finished strong, and I think it really does help for me. It's so rare. I'm, I don't know why I can't find my chart. I'll find my chart. But the minor league player of the year history is replete, and, and in general. We've got to be impressed by somebody who's done it in Double A at least, JJ. Generally, Byron Buxton a couple there, years ago. Certainly, there are exceptions, and Andrew, Andrew Jones, Jones and Byron Buxton are two of the exceptions. Greg Jeffries, I think, was. I think even high, that year he was. He made he, it up. I think, I think it was High A and Double A. The next year was Double A and Triple right. A, uh, and he was a. The, the Greg Jeffries, Andrew Jones are only two-time mm-hmm. minor league players over the I year. Feel, I feel confident we can say that. Blake Snell's not going to change that next year. I would be shocked if he spent the entire year in Durham. I would be stunned. If he did, I would be hard for him to win the award because there would be a question of, why what is happened he still to you? in Durham? Exactly. And, you know, is he going to do better than a 141 <laughs> ERA? You know, that's that's the – overall, The I think the reason that Blake Snell won the award is I think he's a slightly better prospect than A.J. Reed. Not, maybe not even slightly. I think he's a better prospect than A.J. Reed. I think his year is slightly more rare. To have a pitcher – be that consistent right. and that dominant. It was I, I dominance could... over the course of, from start to finish, there was never really a, a slide. There was like a four-start stretch 
and Double A, where he gave up a couple of runs. Otherwise, it was but almost always him, one run or no runs. For him, a three-run outing was a disaster. Right. That was happened, that I was the weak once. year. Uh, I think you know, I think a couple, two times in that four-start right. stretch at Double A, one four in the, one four runs, one three runs. Otherwise, it. otherwise it was one two or zero earned runs all year. He only gave up two unearned runs, if memory serves. All year. He just didn't give up runs. Right. And again, I know that there are other... I mean, we don't look just at ERA, but the reality is is that run prevention, and especially when you throw in earned runs and unearned runs, the reality is is there are a lot... There are a number of times when you can see a guy have a great ERA, and you look at his unearned runs, and you go, you know, this isn't a full explanation of what he did, because you still have to make pitches. Like, yes, your shortstop booted a ball, but if you then give up, Three or four, you know, bad at bats at, you know, hitters basically rake you for single and doubles after that. Yeah. You still made bad pitches generally. That's right. In Blake Snell's case, he just didn't allow runs, period. He very, very rarely allowed runs. Yeah, it was uh, 13 runs at double A, none in high A, and nine in triple A. So 22 runs for the year, and uh, wait a minute, no, it was 24 runs, 13 in double A, 11 in triple A. And he allowed three unearned runs all year. They just didn't allow runs. He was very stingy with runs. Struck out a ton of batters. And very generous with strikeouts. And got better. I think to me the thing that impressed about Blake Snell's season is is that if you look at Blake Snell from the start of the year, as you said, as Scout said, he made the leap. By day one, he had made a leap. He was a much better pitcher on the first day of this season than he was on the last day of last season. Correct. That was significant. If you look at Blake Snell, the pitcher, on the first day of the season and compare him to the guy who's finishing the year, finished the year in Durham this year in AAA, a vastly better pitcher now than he was when the season began. I agree again, and I think the biggest reason for that is the walk rate. And that was the biggest question about him coming into the year. But at age 22, you know, uh, this he had a career year in terms of the harnessing his command. So 4.7 walks per nine in the first 21 innings of the year. At high that's, a, that's a disconcerting it number is. That's if that a, would have been for the full season. Uh, uh, that would have qualifying He would not have been minor league player of the year if he even just had last year's total walk rate, which was 4.4. He would not have been minor league player of the year. He just wouldn't You better have. throw 110. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I mean, that's right. You better be Sid Finch. You right. know? Uh, and his hit rate, his hits allowed were 7.4 last year with the 4.4 walks. This year, the hits allowed were 5.6. That's kind of hard to fathom. That's a Glasnow esque. Yes, yeah, that Tyler Glasnow goes. This feels I mean, like in my family. You can come in the clubhouse yes. here. Yes, but I'll the welcome walk, you to the club. The walk rate went from four point seven to three point eight at Double A to two point six in Triple A. I understand it's a little bit of a small sample, forty four innings, but it was a larger was sample 40, than High A, and it's Triple A baseball. Does a smaller strike some? I mean, the reality is, is that if you take a guy, better umpires. If you take a guy's. Which does help a guy often a little pitcher sometimes a little bit too. Yeah. From the standpoint of they'll get a they'll get a breaky ball he didn't get an eye. But if you take a high A guy, just throw him right in a triple A, usually that walk rate's gonna jump Correct. because that pitch and you see it. It's funny, it's it's fun watching we get to see a lot of triple A baseball here. And it's fun watching in some ways to see a guy who's just come up and that frustration. I saw it in Tyler Glass yeah. where he he threw multiple pitches in a start here where he thought that's a strike, it's on the edge. And I was like, no, that's no, no, that's a double A strike. It's not a triple A strike. My favorite is watching the pitcher who throws the chase breaking ball, mm-hmm. and they throw the or or uh, anything off speed, but a chase pitch, and hitters don't chase, and they're like, oh, and then they throw another chase pitch, and they don't chase. And it's like, 
son, at this level, you got to start getting more swings and misses in the strike zone. Mm-hmm. That's what you have to do in the big leagues. If you don't get swings and misses in the strike zone in the big leagues, if you can't get someone out with a fastball and a fastball count, you're not a starter. You're just not. I mean, and Blake Snell does it. And that's what you saw in AAA. And we've seen it over the years here. And we've been very fortunate to have so many for the Rays to develop pitchers so well for the last decade. People are like, oh, that was James Shields. I remember when James Shields was here. And you're like, huh, this guy's a 13th round pick. And I remember his signing scout being like, hey, that's my guy. Go watch my guy. And um, it is insane the number of pitchers we've gotten to see come through Durham in the past. And it's just, it's just nuts. And, and so you can see Blake Snell and you can compare him to Matt Moore, who was incredibly dominant in AAA. And you can compare him to Jeremy Hellickson, who was our minor league player of the year. And you can compare him to David Price. And you can compare him to Alex Cobb. And you can compare him to whoever else you want to compare him to. Because the Rays right, have had all, stri- all shapes, say, all sizes. Right. When you talk about right-handers, too, and all, you throw in guys like Chris Archer and all. I mean, you can throw in Nathan Carnes. You can throw in Mike Montgomery. You can throw in all shapes, sizes, varieties, different pedigrees. Oh, you want Latin guys, Eni Romero or Alice Colomay. You can throw in all of them. We saw Jay Cook Rue here. We've seen a lot of pitchers we've seen, here. We've seen Matt Andrees, who turned into a solid big league That's player. right. Never saw that coming. And we've also seen J.D. Martin and Merrill Kelly, guys who are good AAA pitchers, mm-hmm. but guys who's going to make their money in Japan or Korea, not in the big leagues. So we've seen what works here and doesn't work in the big leagues, and we've seen what works here and does work in the big leagues. It's instructive, and uh, also, J.J., I do think it helps – we have some experience now doing this. You've been here, what, 11 years now? 12 years? 13. Uh, 13. This is my 19th anniversary at Baseball America today, as a matter of fact. I'm on lucky 13. Man. And we've been, the point is, we've, we've seen some of these, and we've got a lot of scouts that we could talk to who've seen what works here and what doesn't. And um, I, I think thought, we're uh, both convicted on Blake Snell. That that's, uh, that's what I say. Like, we, we talk, we used to talk about Moneyball, where Billy Bean just says our stuff just doesn't work in the playoffs. Um, we, we, were, we don't work blue on this mm-hmm. podcast. But, um, you know, his stuff works. His stuff works in AAA, and it's going to work in the big leagues. There's, he still has to hone the command. There's no question. And, and the thing with the Rays is, as you know, he will not be up there. They will they sell will, no wine before it's right. time. The reality is, is that if you're saying, will Blake Snell start the season in, in, in Tampa Bay? I don't think so. Probably, Signs point to no. Probably. Now, again, there's part of it that is roster, you know, arbitration years. You know, I believe the word is manipulation. It's manipulation, <laughs> sure. But they will also send him back. When they send him back, it'll be very much with a, here is your work list. Right. Here's what you're going to do. We saw it, again, if you ask the question of why do we think that's the case, I mean, David Price is the obvious example. We've seen it with Matt Moore, too. But David Price, where David Price was, and Matt Moore both, were dominant in playoff appearances. Yep. And then were sent back and were like, okay, here's your to-do list. Here's your You'll be here list. soon. That's it. But you know what? You're, you're not ready yet. And in both cases, it was more swings and misses in the strike zone. David Price, you must locate your slider. It's not just a chase pitch. Matt Moore, you must hone in your fastball command. And Blake Snell has a lot of similarities to Matt Moore. I think, it's frankly, it's a little bit better body. Uh, the velocity is almost a little easier, uh, a little cleaner I mean, arm. He, he, he sits. That's that, that is the thing with Blake he Snell. He sits with a seven fastball. That's the thing that I do think that some people may, you know, you're maybe sitting there and going, now wait a second, how good is this stuff? It is 95 easy, and there's more in there when he needs there's it. There's 97 when he needs it. He, as a starter, he sits at 95. He like averages 94, 95 for six innings when mm-hmm. they let him go six innings. So that's. Right. And, if you set a concern for next year, a little raise or a team that they can 
they can pat a guy on the back. You gave us a good five. We're turning yeah. it over to the pen. They're not a team who looks at that as a failure. That being said, if you said with Blake Snell, what is a concern for next year? They did not stretch him out. No, he's not stretched out. The 139 innings, and you do have to wonder, like, he how ready pitch, is he for... He does not want to win... At, 134, I was going to say. An eighth inning for him, pitching the eighth inning is a, would be a... Wait. That is I, uncharted I, this territory. Is, this is... Wow. It's, it's uncharted territory. Now, last thing on, on this part of the podcast, JJ, I did want to just discuss the other caveat we always have is the track record of the minor league player of the year who is a pitcher. This is only the ninth it's time he's chosen a pitcher. It is because so, so guys here, get hurt. Here are the pitchers who've won it. First one, Dwight Gooden. Pretty good. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. 1983, 300-plus strikeouts. Wait, let me see. Let me see. Okay. Next right. one, Mike Bilecki. Mike Bilecki, who is similar career-wise, frankly, to Jeff Francis. He did it late, but he did have a very high peak where he won 18 games. One I year. would actually argue the thing that Bilecki had that Francis, at least as of yet, has not had is, is that Mike Bilecki had – also, kind of a late career renaissance as a reliever for a little while, kind of a swing guy that worked worked out pretty well. Maybe I'm maybe I'm well, not looking. Francis's at peak was better. Francis's peak right. was actually like as a starter. Like Mike Bilecki had one good year as a starter, basically. You know where he threw 200 innings. He did that one time. Um, so I would say that that one peak season was better than anything that um, that Francis did. But Jeff Francis, and it was on a playoff team for the Cubs in '89. Uh, Bilecki. Francis actually like was the number one. Bilecki was like, let me just clean up Greg Maddox's leftovers. Yes. Um, I'm not knocking Mike Bilecki. His better part of his career was when he was a reliever. I would prefer Jeff Francis' career, where when he was healthy and young, he was a front-of-the-rotation starter for a playoff team. Neither of these are guys, these are guys though, that are cautionary tales for Correct. the minor league player of the year. Correct. That's, that, okay. that, that, they're, so that's, they're more that's similar. Two. Tom Gordon, number three. Good career. You know, Pretty good peak as a starter. Better peak as a closer. But he Long was, duration I mean, but I, I, I think that's one that you look back on and you go, okay, check. Yes, uh, that's a win. Um, other minor league player of the year. Now, we did not have a minor league player of the year for, who was a pitcher in the 90s until 1999, Rick Ankiel. That's a, that's, that's, a mixed, that's a mixed bag for sure. Great peak. I mean, again, that, that's one, but that is one of those stories of, if you said at the time, I mean, I'm sorry, but you could not not. He, had, he was... He checked off every box that you wanted to check off. He was absolutely dominant. He was he, young. He was Matt he Moore. Had, he started the first game of a playoff series as a rookie. And you can't obviously know, wait, he's going to get the thing, and his pitching career will be over very shortly. We did not have him as LHP slash OF. No, we didn't see that coming. And we did three pitchers in a row there. We did Rick Ankiel, we did John Roush, and we did Josh Beckett. 2000, you weren't here, I was. 2000 winner should have been Roy Oswald. We picked Roy Oswald. Would have been pretty happy with it. We went big over small, so that was pretty much the reason. We went with a guy who was a foot taller, John Roush. I can say that year, I saw him at his best. I saw him in relief against Cuba, relieving Rick Krivda in a, in a Sydney, and he shoved against that great Cuban lineup. Now Cuba already had the lead, so maybe they relaxed a little bit. He had eight strikeouts and four innings, convinced the United States, hey, if he can shut down Cuba, we know Ben Sheets can, which he did. John Roush had a monster year that year, but John Roush was a middle reliever as things went, yeah, turned out, and Roy Oswald was I a mean, front of the rotation guy. Right. The reality is John Roush is what ranks John as Roush, one of our worst. He ranks as probably the worst career by a uh, minor league player of the year. Um, I'm just looking at the whole thing. I think he had the worst career, and he was a big leaguer for a very long time. Ron Kittle is probably the other but worst career Ron guy. Ron Kittle is the 
uh, in the Bob Hamlin family of they show Players. up, they're really good early, and it doesn't last long. Right. And that is, and you know what? If you were picking out a, not a worst case, but a cautionary scenario with our runner-up. For A.J. Reed, Reed, right. If you told me that A.J. Reed came up, was really good, and then the career tailed off pretty quickly. Right. That wouldn't be, it wouldn't floor me. I mean, that's, I will, that, that's within the realm of possibility. That's right. I will throw in that John Roush still threw uh, 13 or 11 years in the big leagues as a relief pitcher and was above league average. He had a decent major league career. Uh, but he's not. Th- th- but that We're is one, that's, that's the worst career. But that's the worst career no. by by a, a winner. I mean, like even Rick Ankiel had a higher peak as a hitter. You know, Josh Beckett the next year in two thousand one uh, had a good career, not as good as I think we probably thought it would be. Right, but had, his him at his peak was what you. It yeah, it was, was a World Series were MVP. You, there were less peaks there than you hoped. Might have been two-time World Series MVP. Was he World Series? No, Mike Lowell was a World Series MVP in two thousand seven. But he was very. Rocco Baldelli in 2001, incidentally, is our other probably worst career by major league rookie, a minor league player of the year. Obviously, injuries a big part of that for Rocco. Next pitcher was Jeff Francis, and we had not chosen one since then, with the exception of Jeremy Hellickson in 2010, um, who had a monster season in the minor leagues. Comparing Jeremy Hellickson, I mean, the the concern with Jeremy Hellickson at the time was that fastball was it was it was average, right? And he used it really well. And there is a, there was a concern. We knew he was not a front line future future front line starter. We thought he was a future number three. Mm-hmm. I would say his peak years. That's exactly what he was. He was rookie of the year in 2011. Uh, he was outstanding those first couple of years for Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, both years 124 or and, better and then, ERA plus. And then the injuries have have hit. And, and he did not have margin for error because right. he didn't have he didn't throw 95. He threw 93, and there's a big difference. Yeah, big difference. You know, so. That's that's kind of where things so have that, gone. So that is that. Now I do think we did want to talk a little bit about AJ Reed, AJ Reed, who's our runner-up. And again, I think we both, as we said, if you said AJ Reed was our player of the year, I think we that is a guy the year the guy we'd have also been okay. I I, I feel very comfortable with that. He didn't win it, but AJ Reed, uh, for one thing it, that just jumps out is his. College Player of the Year last year, and was a, pretty much a slam dunk. Yes, College Player of the Year last year. He was. Slam it's dunk. hard not to give College Player of the Year to a guy who leads the NCAA at home runs, and goes twelve and two as a Friday starter in the SEC. That's a he. He was providing two scholarships for the price of one or less yes. than one. I had he hadn't was, asked Gary Henderson if it was full or not. I assume. He, he was at least close to that. It was as full as he needed because he was as good a player as there was, as valuable a player as there's been in college baseball in a long time. I haven't seen anybody try to do college baseball war. He would have been worth a lot of wins. When you win 12 games on the mound and you're the best hitter in the country, you would have been worth a lot of wins. He was probably worth a lot of wins in the minor leagues this year because he hit 340 with power, JJ. I mean, led the minors in home runs, led the minors in slugging, was among the minors' leaders in on base, was among the minors' leaders in batting average, was a Led the minors in OPS, strikeout rate under twenty percent. It's basically a Ryan. Ha- it's basically a Ryan Howard year. Yeah. A few more doubles, but the, almost exactly the same OPS. He controls the strike zone a lot more. If you believe in him as a prospect going forward, it's because he controls the strike zone. And it, with with massive power. With the power, the, so the controlling the strike zone will allow him to get to the power. He won't be. Uh, well, but what will but what will he be? That's the real question. Is 
Now, and you, this is scouts are mixed on AJ Reed. There's just no question about it. This is the interesting debate we had. Like, this is a story will be up. I think you'll be listening to this podcast. The story will arrive on the site tomorrow. It's also in the magazine that goes out with Player of the Year. The article we've already sent out. But if you look at it, if you like AJ Reed, your argument for AJ Reed is is AJ Reed is exactly the kind of guy that it is easy to be light on. Yeah. Yeah. And if you go back. The guys who are almost all their value comes from the bat. All the bat and whose bodies give cause concern. Like if you said, and most of these guys are going to be first basemen, but going back, I mean, going back to ancient history, Cecil Fielder, mm-hmm. bad body, had to go to Japan to really get, and then come back. And it's like, whoa, he's one of the better hitters right. in the league. You know, Prince Fielder after that, his son faced those concerns. Benos clearly benefited from his father's success. Right. That he didn't have to but, go, he was a first round pick and all that, but still... Had doubters, there's no doubt. How much Pablo Sandoval, no, he had a terrible year this year, but Pablo Sandoval, at his best, is one is one of the better players in the league. And he's all, he's both the good fat player and the cautionary tale right. from when he lets but himself you know go, he's not as good. But you know what? If you said, buy me a ticket on the Pablo Sandoval ride over the last six, seven years... Any team would buy a ticket on that ride because depends the, on how much the ticket costs. But, but <laughs> that's the whole problem now. First six years, it costs pretty inexpensive. Absolutely. But and I'm, what I'm saying for that is, is that you, yes, there have been some ups and downs with him. But I follow you. I don't think he's a good example because he's such a freak athlete, and no, AJ and, and Reed he, is and not. He's not. But although AJ Reed is, again, the thing about it is, is that AJ Reed is both stiff and athletic, which seems odd because. He's not a great first baseman. I don't know how athletic he is. I think that he's very strong. And I think if you're a pitcher and you're not athletic, but you have strength, right. you can repeat right. your delivery, and that's really what he did. So I think that I think that his his athleticism is debated. The scouts I've talked mm-hmm. to really that's the biggest question they have. How athletic is he really? Because he was a two way player, so you think he's athletic. I think well, there's the, the, there the fact that you can be a pitcher and a very good pitcher and not be terribly athletic. athletic. And that's and that's why I think he is. The other question I really have about his athleticism is, if you're a good athlete, you can shed that weight pretty easily because Pablo Sandoval has done it. He's thin, he's fat. Pick a body and stick with it, Oprah. You know. Although a, a, a thin Pablo Sandoval. He's thinner. Yeah. Okay. He, you know, thinner is a better way. He's thinner and, Pablo, and, and then he's bigger Pablo. But it's within a, always within a range of closer to Justin Bohr anyway. He's just big right, bone. He's going to be the Cartman of, he, of hitters. He's going to be big, but again, and Justin, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting guy to bring up because right. he was when you, I mean, and I think A.J. Reed has a chance to be significantly better than him, but if you look at it. Although he's been good. He's Justin Bohr's been good this year. But if you look at it, he was a minor league rule five pick. And there is no further way of saying that you were written off. And I just talking to a scout this week about that. I, I, I guess he's done a little research on this, and I have all the research to confirm it, but Justin Bohr is by far the best minor league rule five pick of all time. Uh, I didn't want to mention that around you, because I know what rabbit hole you're going down. I don't have that's time the to go down going, the rabbit hole, but man, I still want to. But if anybody wants to do the research out there, I believe Justin Bohr, with the fact that he's gotten 460 big league plate appearances, that that's the most by a minor league Rule 5 pick in the last 30 years at least. That's this guy's research. So um, I think that he went back to 1977, actually. So he went back to like the last three rounds of expansion. So going back to when there were 24 teams, 
and researched this, it. Again, that is the, if you are an AJ Reed believer, you look at it and say, these kind of body types get can, in, can be overlooked. Right, and Matt Adams was a 17th round pick. Right. So that is the argument for, and the thing about it is, and the other, and the other argument for is the, the strike zone judgment. And and he has a very simple swing. Right now, there are scouts who will say it's a little long. You know, it, it's a strength swing. Right now, hey, but, well, he's going to get beat by ninety-five. Guess what? Ninety percent of hitters do, even the big league ones. And there's a quote in the story, like you go back, just rewind the clock two years ago, Jose Abreu, another yep. very big first baseman, and. Ben Badler, our international expert, talked to scouts at the time before Jose Abreu signed, who basically spelled him out as, yeah, he's destroyed Cuba, but he's beating up on 86 to 88. Just wait till he gets a good fastball. He can't handle a good fastball in, and then off speed away. He can't handle it. Right. He's going to be a mistake hitter who hits 240 right. with 20 homers because he'll run into something. And I will say, Ben was on the A.J. Reed train. Ben, ben if, you know, it wasn't unanimous. Ben voted A.J. Reed, and uh, I, I know it's, uh, maybe it's supposed to be secret ballot. I hope Ben doesn't mind. But Ben made a very good case for A.J. Reed, and the Jose Abreu and precedent, I believe, is a reason why he's a believer in A.J. Reed. talk to people this year who said, I mean, you could take that quote and put it on A.J. Reed. Right. That they would say, you know what, he's a great mistake hitter. He's going to run into his 20 homers, but he's not going to hit for average. You can bust him in with good velocity because... He's a big guy who can't really, you know, get around a good velo and then go soft away. Yeah, that was the mo that teams tried to do this year, and he AJ Reed will say, "Hey, I don't mind being called a mistake hitter. You know why? Pitchers make mistakes, and you can be a great hitter by the key part of that is is when they make a mistake. What did you do with it? That's right. Because we see it all the time at games. You see a guy make a mistake." How often is that converted into the hitter made them pick? Yep. A lot of times it's not. I'll be honest. To me, his bet, the best case scenario for a Blake Snell is a number one, number two type starter. I'm not sure which one you want to pick. I got a Mark Langston comp on him. I love that comp. Uh, the body comp works. Athleticism. Um Fits my era of the yeah, late 80s, say, early 90s. We, that frame <laughs> reference works very well for us. I know there's some podcast listeners probably going... Yeah. Okay. Oh, you mean the guy traded for Randy Johnson? Yes, the guy traded for Randy Johnson. No, no. I think there's some people listening who are going, okay. KSA still. Yeah, exactly. Like, like if I said, hey, he's a Ken Hill comp. You That's know, right. It's the same era. You know. That's right. Um, I've gotten that comp on him, that kind of thing. That, so I, I like, Blake, I think Blake Snell's ceiling's a little higher. I think the best case scenario for A.J. Reed is Ryan Howard. I think that's a good comp. Ryan Howard, an easy left-handed power, big guy. Would he kept his body trim, but if you, but also even when he was at his best, I always thought of Ryan Howard as more of a mistake hitter and a guy who was not when he faced the best pitchers, he usually got on the losing end of that one and he could be gotten out. I think that AJ Reed's a little bit pure hitter because he controls the strike zone better. I don't think he's got quite as much power as Ryan Howard, and he's not as good of a defender at first base. But I think it's a similar peak. That's a best case scenario. I think of Justin Boer career is more likely where he's, I think a, he's a good second I'm right but a second division it, when it, if I had to put my when the chips are down I see AJ Reed as a five or six hole hitter not a three or four hole hitter I see him as more of a second division first baseman than a first division first baseman that said all that said 
I think he fits the Astros very well because he takes pitches, controls the strike zone, won't strike out as much, and is a left-handed power bat for a team that is going to keep on needing new ones to replace Luis Luis Valbuena and Marwin Gonzalez. Should not be your first baseman in a pennant drive. That's one of the reasons why the Astros are slipping here. I think A.J. Reid will be an upgrade. The other part about that is is that, well, when you say he's not a three-hole hitter, the great thing for the Astros is is that well, yeah, guy, they don't use they don't they don't use their lineup that way anyway. Right. But I'm saying, but that spot's he, taken. But <laughs> there is no scenario in which they need AJ Reed to be the best hitter in the lineup because for the next 15 years, right. that's going to be Carlos Correa. Right. And they've Pro got Green. they've got one of you know as, if you were buying stock in a player, it's hard to have many guys that you would pick before Carlos Correa. That they have him. They also have again around him in the lineup. George Springer is a very is, is a very different kind of guy. Yeah. But they can piece together where AJ Reed, when he steps in that lineup next year, at some point, probably right. whether it's nine days into the season right. or you know mid May or whatever, they will not look at him and say, you know, this lineup depends on you. No. Right. It will be. He's always going to be a complimentary piece. Right, and he may end up being better. He may end up turning into where you go, wow, that's a little bit in his best years. That's more than a complimentary piece, because again, really, what it comes down to is is that first baseman DH. That's what he's going to be, and I think it might be very much DH more than first base. Right. That being said, really, it comes down to is he going to? He's going to hit for power. I think we agree on that. Yeah, I agree. He's going to draw some walks because he has an idea of strikes. I agree with that. So if you've got those two things right there. Your floor almost there is, is if he does those two parts is, is, okay, if he doesn't hit for average, then you're talking about the, that, the scout's concern, the, the, the Breu quote of he's a 240 hitter. Okay, then he's right. a 240, 320, 330, 480 guy. You know, I, 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 there is a legit question from a scouting standpoint of, yes, he controls a strike zone, but will pitchers have to be careful to him in the big leagues if he doesn't have – because he does not have elite bat speed. Right. He doesn't even have, I wouldn't even say he has good bat speed. He has, a, he has average bat speed with well above average strength. And and I do think for a power hitter, better than average barrel control. Barrel control. I think that's fair. Like the thing that jumped out to me watching a lot of AJ Reed this year, mainly you know on MILB TV, yeah. is he is a guy, there are a lot of power hitters who what their approach is, is they're, they're sorting through. Just get me to that. At some point, they're going to give me a fastball. I want to get to that fastball, and then when I do, I want to hit it because yeah. I don't want to get to two strikes when they start throwing the th- the bendy stuff That's right. or they start throwing the change. Spin back. Right. Their their approach, and they're smart sometimes to do this, but their approach very much is a when is it going to be? He throws it hard and straight, and I yeah. can do something with yeah. it. Yeah. AJ Reed's approach is not that way. AJ Reed is comfortable enough to, with two strikes. That early in the count, you may throw him a strike, and he goes, no, I don't want that strike. I can't do what I want to do with that strike. Right. When he gets to two strikes, he's still now obviously has to get he has to widen the zone a little bit, but he's still looking for this is the pitch, this is the area that I can really do something with. Yeah. If he does this, I can lock that, you know, slap that the other way. But if it's not, and it's a strike, also. I can foul that off. And, and it's that, not that, a Chesney Young, right. you know, Williams Astadio, let's do this for 20 pitches. Well, and that comes from his strength. His strength is his strength. Mm-hmm. And that's where everything flows from. That's what I like about A.J. Reed the most is that he doesn't try to be something he's not. So the scouts I've talked to about him all remark on the fact 
He's almost always very balanced, and when you have a, he has a, he has excellent balance. He has balance. So when you're te- when you're teaching ten year olds baseball, or you're around ten year olds a lot, like I am, 11, 12 year olds, and you're trying to keep things simple, all I ever drill into my kid's head and the other players is be balanced. Be balanced when you're pitching. Be balanced when you're hitting. That's that's the that's the start. Everything else can come from that. Let's keep it as simple as possible. He has a very good base. AJ Reed does that. He keeps things very simple. He's got a great base. He's strong. He trusts his hands, so he's balanced. He uses his hands in his swing, but he's never that far out front, and he's strong enough that if he is fooled, he could still hit the ball hard. So I, I do believe in him to an extent as a hitter. I do have a hard time believing in him as a future star. The other caveat for me, J.J., with him as minor league player of the year was Lancaster. I mean, uh, I'll quote the Smiths. It has so much to answer for. And that's my – I guess actually that was Manchester that had so much to answer for, but I digress. But Lancaster, just as such an offensive ballpark. By the way, that reference, <laughs> if you didn't get the Mark Langston reference, you might have gotten knock out that one either. But, but, I'm, but I do wonder – I have a hard time giving minor league player way, of the year to a guy who played at Lancaster because you should destroy Lancaster. And inter- he did. Interesting tangent here. One of those I probably shouldn't give away on here because I, I, I thought about I want to do something about it at some point, but someone else may do it now, but before I can. But one of the things that is interesting to me is, is that in this day that we are now, it's a little different than it used to be. You know, we can try to normalize for park effects for let's look at the home road, let's look at where, you know, what teams that guys have done there in the past and all that. There is one other tool that teams have now that they didn't have. Okay. Trackman. Right. It makes a difference. You can basically look at, if you have your track band data. Your exit velocity. You have your exit velocity, all these things. You can try to filter this another way if you're a team and say, okay, was that a cheapie? You know, when you look at the, the, the launch angle, you look at the exit velocity, did that just get the jet stream? <laughs> right. And from, again, I don't have access to all this data. Right. But the teams do. Talking to the Astros, one of the things, the points they made is, is that we have that data. His Lancaster numbers, from what we could find, were not Lancaster. The, the whole, again, if you hit a ball that clears the fence by 30 feet with an exit velocity of you know 105, they didn't give me the exit velocities. I'd right. love to have them. But yeah. if you do that, if you have that, then you can kind of filter out some of this. And the part with that, I, I agree that's a concern. The thing that was encouraging and I think really kept him in this race was him going to Corpus Christi, which... No doubt. 976 is, OPS at Corpus. Which is a very difficult place uh, Texas for a left-handed hitter, power hitter to hit home runs. The Texas League is not a um, it is not a hitter's paradise. It's a very mixed bag there according are to all of our data. Yeah. That's right. So him having a 976 OPS and hitting for the power that he did and the consistency with which he did it was very impressive in double-A. If he had had the season numbers that he finished with and done it in the Texas League and the PCL, even with the PCL's offensive environment, I would have had more belief than I did in Lexington. I mean, in Lancaster's half the, more than half the season, 80-plus games in Lancaster, and then Corpus Christi. Whereas for me, again, if Blake Snell, if two-thirds of his year had been the Florida State League, and then a third in double-A, he would have been the guy. But it was 20 uh, innings. Sprint, like... Lewis Brinson, Another great candidate. Lewis Brinson, who I think is really a, a, a very quality stealth candidate here from the standpoint yes. of... If you said, if you added up the value... a good value, way to wrap up. Yeah, this is how we wrap it up. But if you added up the value that Lewis Brinson had this year, 
pure value. I mean, again, the reality is this, this is a very nebulous concept, but Lewis Brinson is a very good center fielder. Lewis Brinson, his year offensively wasn't A.J. Reed's year. Very close, though. But it wasn't that far off. He missed some time. That's the other thing that works against Lewis Brinson. Correct. But Only if he just played a full season, and you say you've got the first baseman here versus the center fielder, yes. But he played more of his year in high desert. He did. He's wrapping up at AAA. I hope to get to see him next week. Uh, we'll see what happens with Round Rock and Fresno. Uh, just from a selfish standpoint, I think there's a few more prospects at Round Rock. But both those teams are loaded. I just love that we have Fresno, Round Rock, Astros, Rangers, and AAA, and Astros, Rangers, in the major leagues. Um, I believe both organizations would sell AAA to win <laughs> the big leagues. Very heated, very good series going on there so far. Um, but Lewis Brinson is at Round Rock, along with uh, Nomar Mazzara. So pretty talented young club there yes. at Round Rock at the end of the year here, which would be fun to see in the AAA championship game next week in uh But, in he had, but for him, 64 of his... Again, too few games. He had altogether right. 100 games. Right. But 64 of those in high desert, as great as that year was in high desert. And it if was he played a, great a little year. bit more, if he played 15 more games this year and they'd all been in double A AA or triple A and he had the same level of production, it would have been a three way podcast, a three team, a three horse race for minor league player of the year because Lewis Brinson does bring that defensive value. And the one other thing I'll say about him A, athleticism, B, track record. He won the home run derby at the Under Armour game in high school back in 2011. He's been a guy where we were expecting this power to come for years. Although, that being said, he does not, when you look at him, oh, no, he, he's scrawny. he does not look like a guy. He has he has the legs of a speedster. He looks like Ben Ogilvie to me. I mean, taller, skinny. That's, that's always, I always think of skinny guys, home runs. I think Ben Ogilvie. I'm dating myself again. That's even more dated than Mark Lincoln. But that guy was 41 home yeah. runs in 1980 for the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. The and was 5'11", 170, and was from Panama. So... Um, that's all I got on Ben Ogilvie. Just but when I think my, of skinny my memory of that guys. is always like Gorman Thomas plays center field. Exactly, yeah, and this guy plays left. Yeah, it didn't make sense. Tony Armas playing center field. Gorman Thomas. That really confused me at the time. The eighties. At think the time, I thought that Omar Moreno was the epitome of what a center fielder should they be. They did not have defensive I had to metrics. Learn, I had to learn some things. What the, I would love to know what the defensive metrics would say about Gorman Thomas and Tony Armas Senior playing uh, center remember, field defense. You know, Tony Tony Armas. I think played, he won some gold gloves. I was going to say, Tony Armas also was part of an A's outfield, him, Dwayne Murphy, Ricky Henderson, which was considered the gold standard. Right, and Tony Armas was the Red Sox center fielder in 18, 1986 and then got hurt, and Dave Henderson took over and became and a playoff hero. Yes. yes, it was It was important. I always remember in my old games, you played APA growing up, I played Status Pro Major League Baseball. Well, I also played Micro League to really date myself. That was before I, I don't remember that. Micro League was a like way more simpler. I was an 85 Cardinals guy. Well, Tony Armas in 1978, 80, and 86 versions of that of the Status Pro game always had a T5, best throwing arm you could get. Always had the top rating. Guy had a cannon. It was a very fun player to watch. But also had like a speed rating D on an A to E scale and was playing center field. He was the only D. I think everybody else was at least a B. And he was a D playing center field. But we digress. <laughs> As we uh, A.J. Reed will never be playing center field. Lewis Brinson will be. These are all really good prospects. They all had really good years. Reed and Snell had the best years. We only pick one. We pick one minor league player of the year. We picked Blake Snell. We feel pretty good about it. And both guys had great years that we would have been very proud, as J.J. said at the beginning, to have picked either of those guys. We had 75 minutes in the office with Blake Snell. 
of interview because he was great to talk to. I've and, got a uh, thirty-minute uh, AJ Reed. Uh, I've say as a, as a follow-up podcast. We'll and, and and AJ Reed, uh, you know, we had that last year's uh, gala in uh, San Diego. Also, it was fantastic. Both of these know? guys also are guys who are very good guys too. Very easy to root for both these players and. Uh, don't know Lewis Brinson as well. Like, like I said, if he played 20 more games, he would have been in this discussion. Um, but we had, uh, uh, just like you said at the start, we started out thinking, do we even have, who's our minor league player of the year? And by the end, we thought, yeah, we have two really strong candidates. So I want to thank both of them for cooperating and helping us out. And uh, thank you for the listening and for the download and for watching today on MLB Network. Uh, this was a fun podcast. So for J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.